2: most people with parkinson's disease start their treatment with levodopa and add other treatments as needed but for several years researchers have been investigating the possibility of symptom control by making dopamine in the brain two approaches have been to inject dopamine producing cells into specific areas of the brain where they have been lost or to induce cells already in the brain to transform into dopamine producers. The research has proceeded along various lines using several approaches in animal experiments and some limited human clinical trials. To put what has been learned into perspective, I spoke with Professor Roger Barker of the University of Cambridge in England. And based on what we now know, he offered his thoughts on what may be coming along and, importantly, what people with Parkinson's should know, ask, expect, and be cautious of if they are contemplating entering a clinical trial of a cell-based therapy. I guess the most basic question would be, can you define what we mean by cell-based therapy?
1: It's a very good question because people mean different things by it. But in essence, the core of what we're trying to do in Parkinson's disease with cell based therapies is to replace the loss of the dopamine nerve cells, which are central to the problem you see in Parkinson's disease and underlie many of the features of that condition.
2: Why is this approach being explored?
1: I mean, the main reason why we think there is an opportunity for this to be useful in Parkinson's is, A, we know that dopamine drugs work very well in people with Parkinson's, at least in the early stages. So giving dopamine cells should, in theory, work as well as dopamine drugs. Secondly, and the reason why people are quite attracted by this, is that the number of dopamine cells you need to replace in the brain is relatively small in Parkinson's. You have about half a million dopamine cells on either side of your brain. In normal state, and when you've lost half of that, i.e. a quarter of a million, you develop the early features of Parkinson's disease. So the second main reason why it's an attractive approach is you only need to replace up to a quarter of a million dopamine cells, which might seem like quite a lot, but compared to the billions of cells you have in the brain, that's very tractable. And the final reason why people are very attracted by this approach is it would be if it worked a one-off therapy, you wouldn't need to take tablets every single day. You simply have the cells replaced in the brain. And not only would you have it as a one-off procedure, but the complications which you can see with medication, so side effects from them would be avoided because obviously you don't need to take the tablets and the cells would be put at the place in the brain where dopamine is lost and only where it's lost in Parkinson's. So some of the side effects you see with the drugs are due to stimulation of dopamine systems which are intact in the Parkinson's brain and not affected by the disease process.
2: Would this be aimed at really... Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
2: Symptoms, mainly motor symptoms, or would other symptoms be included, and what about disease progression?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important to understand that this is a symptomatic therapy. In other words, what it's trying to do is trying to put dopamine into the brain in a more efficient way. So what it will help is it will help those aspects of Parkinson's which respond best to the dopamine drugs which we use in clinic at the moment. And that is predominantly the motor problems that you see, especially the stiffness and slowness of movement, less so the tremor. It probably will help at least for things such as the walking and such like. But it's not a cure. It won't slow down the disease process, because obviously what drives the problem in Parkinson's disease is the accumulation of proteins in cells in an abnormal way, and the cells will not be stopping that. They're simply trying to bypass the pathology, if you like, you see in the brain by replacing those which have been diseased, damaged, and lost to the disease process already.
2: Is the implication there that these cells, too, would be susceptible to the accumulation of alpha-synuclein?
1: That is an assumption that has been shown to some extent with some of the earlier trials around using the sort of fetal dopamine cells rather than the engineered cells which we're now taking towards a clinic. So in those transplant studies from the 90s, it was shown that after 10 years, some of the grafted fetal dopamine cells did acquire the pathology of that scene in the Parkinsonian brain. Now, even at twenty four years, which is the longest time we've ever studied a postmortem on a patient who's had a transplant, whilst there is pathology Of the Parkinsonian type in that transplant, the majority of the dopamine cells still remain free of the disease process, as far as we can see. So, whilst the graft would acquire the pathology of Parkinson's disease, it's not thought that it's likely to accumulate it at a rate that would compromise its function for many years.
2: Are you sure that the cells you see long-term are the ones you put in, or is there some way they are marked, or could they be inducing other cells to do what you want?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we don't actually know the answer to that. The assumption is that they are the cells we're put in, and the reason for thinking that is obviously they're at the site where the tissue was engrafted. We know from experimental animal models that the cells we engraft, which then survive and mature and differentiate, are the cells we've implanted. So, for example, if we put human cells into a rodent, we can obviously stain for the human cells, and then we can show that the dopamine cells which we find in the transplant, are of human origin, so they must be the cells that were implanted. And the site at which we implant the cells, generally speaking, is in a structure called the striatum, which is not where dopamine nerve cells are normally found, it's where dopamine nerve fibres are normally found. So it would be very unusual for dopamine cells to be there at all unless we actually put them in there with our transplantations.
2: There have been a good handful of clinical trials as well as animal studies, but they've been done in many different ways with different cell sources and sites of implantation and immunosuppression. Can you synthesize or generalize what has been found so far?
1: Most of the work to date has involved using fundamentally tissue derived from fetuses so this comes so it's a very ethically contentious area because the tissue is collected from termination of pregnancies abortions and the tissue is harvested from that and then transplanted that has been where the majority of the work has been done over the last 30 years And I think what we can conclude, as you uh, intimated in your question, is that no two trials have really been the same. So comparing them makes it very difficult indeed. I think what we can say is that when it works, it works very well, by which I mean that there are some patients who've had implants of these fetal dopamine cells who have come off all their dopamine medication for their Parkinson's disease. They've stayed off it for years. The dopamine levels in the brain have gone back to normal on imaging when they've died later on. So when it works, it works very well. It's also fair to say that there are a significant number of patients where the treatment has not benefited them. They have not improved. In some cases, that's even when the scans looking at dopamine levels in the brain have shown promising results. So that is a bit of a conundrum. And in some cases, the patients themselves have actually developed side effects from the medication. They've developed involuntary movements generated, it appears, by the transplant itself. And that has created obviously a lot of worry because whilst everybody with Parkinson's will eventually develop side effects of a movement disorder such as dyskinesias with the use of L-DOPA, you can obviously always get rid of L-DOPA in dyskinesias because you can get rid of L-DOPA by stopping patients taking it. If you obviously have a graft-induced dyskinesia, you can't get the graft back and that has created some anxiety in the field. It does respond to deep brain stimulation, as does L-DOPA-induced dyskinesias. But obviously, until we could better understand that, that was a major problem in the field advancing to where it is now.
2: Which patients would be good candidates for this if it ever comes to pass, or even for trials, ones who have mainly motor symptoms, or how would you select patients?
1: I think this therapy won't be suitable for everybody in much the same way as deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's isn't suitable for everybody. I think the optimal group will be the people who've clearly got a disease that's very responsive to dopamine medication because that would be the obvious group that will respond to dopamine cell therapies. They're probably people who are relatively younger compared to the average age get Parkinson's. So these are probably people in their 50s, early 60s, more than people in their 70s and 80s. It will probably be better used in earlier stage disease before people have developed some of the complications which they see with the oral medication. So I would imagine that the optimal group will be the younger onset, earlier stage patient with Pug disease who has a very marked and clear response to the dopamine drugs which they're taking, which in essence is very similar to the group that are chosen, if you like, or an ideal group for deep brain stimulation at the moment.
2: The dogma used to be that as an adult, you had a certain bunch of neurons and that's all you would ever have. But with some animal experiments, they found stem cells. So rather than implanting cells, is there any thought to stimulating what you've already got to produce dopamine-producing neurons?
1: It would be a lovely idea if we could just get the brain to repair itself. Obviously, it doesn't do it in Parkinson's disease, which is why you get Parkinson's disease. So one of the areas which has been very controversial if you like as the capacity of the human adult brain to produce new nerve cells and whilst i think people are still arguing about it there is probably evidence that some of these may be produced in an area of the brain called the hippocampus and have something a little bit to do with memory that there are probably some that are produced at the front of the brain that go up to what they call the olfactory bulb which sits just above the nose which is involved with olfaction with smell whether there are new cells can be made in the area where the dopamine cells off in top of the stem of the brain, the brainstem in the midbrain, in the nigra in particular, I think most people would say there isn't much evidence that there's neurogenesis in the adult human nigra. So the idea that you could switch on an intrinsic process to make more dopamine cells for the ones that have been lost is probably something that's not viable. Having said that, the alternative is could you turn another population of cells in the brain into dopamine cells And this has received quite a lot of interest in recent years, the idea that where we implant the dopamine cells in our trials, which is into this area called the striatum, it's obviously full of lots of different nerve cells and lots of supporting cells called the glial cells, Could we cleverly engineer, say, a quarter of a million of those glial cells, which you probably don't need all of them, and convince them that they could turn into dopamine cells by engineering them through the injections of different genes and viruses to do that? So there has been this idea that rather than implanting exogenous cells, you can reprogram endogenous cells, cells within the human brain itself, the patient's own brain, to take on the identity of the missing dopamine cells in the disease. So you'd be essentially
0: making induced
2: pluripotent cells sort of de-differing. is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
2: on another pathway towards dopamine producing cells?
1: Yeah, they wouldn't be induced pluripotent stem cells because obviously that's a process whereby you take an adult cell, say skin or blood, and you convert it into something that can proliferate forever so it turns into a stem cell, and then you can convince that stem cell, that induced pluripotent stem cell, to become a dopamine cell. What you're trying to do here is, say, take a glial cell, I think called an astrocyte in the brain, and say, can I convince that astrocyte through injecting a series of factors into it to stop being an astrocyte? directly turn into a nerve cell and then become a dopamine nerve cell so can i reprogram it and induce it to take on a new identity without it necessarily going through this sort of pluripotent stem cell state it may go through obviously reprogramming to some precursor state but not back to a stem cell
2: right okay Do we also need to focus on understanding the natural process of aging and especially what triggers Parkinson's disease to begin with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's critical that, you know, whilst we approach these strategies of cell-based therapies to repair bits of the brain that aren't working Parkinson's it would be much better if we could understand what went wrong in Parkinson's disease and correct that. So can we actually stop the disease process? And as you say, I mean, there's lots of work going on with this, but the biggest risk factor for getting Parkinson's disease is age. And this is true for many diseases of the brain. So it's clear that whatever that ageing process is, and this is obviously something that a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about, Age in nerve cells clearly predisposes them to getting disease and getting Parkinson's disease. So understanding that will give us insight not only into how we could better treat Parkinson's disease, but all age-related diseases of the brain, like Alzheimer's and such like. So it's definitely an area where people are interested in. And ultimately, I would always say that these cell-based therapies shouldn't be seen of as being the only therapy. Ultimately, if we could see people with early Parkinson's put in the new cells and then start them on some disease-modifying therapy, to all intents and purposes, it would be a cure if we could slow the disease down by 50% and put back the cells which are missing, which are giving them their early, early symptoms and signs.
2: What sort of questions should people ask about cell-based therapy if they're considering participating in a trial?
1: This is a very difficult area because there are lots of clinics and, and people around the world who are already offering cell-based therapies for Parkinson's, relatively few of them actually have a sort of track record of preclinical work which would support a clinical trial. So the questions I would always ask are, what is it they're implanting? So what are those cells and what are they hoping to achieve? Because many clinics offer cell-based therapies which aren't clearly designed around replacing dopamine cells. They're putting cells in which will have some function on the brain to make it better in Parkinson's without that being very well specified. So I think it's very important you understand what cells are being put in for what purpose. I think it's very important to understand what is the preclinical evidence, i.e. what is the evidence from the lab that these cells do what they say they do and is that being replicated elsewhere? So how strong is the evidence that the cells will work in the way that they say? And then thirdly, I would say that all cell-based therapies at the moment have to be seen as experimental, so should be the subject of a trial so nobody should be paying to have any cell-based therapies for this condition because they're unproven. And any trial should be properly funded to support the patient and their family through it without them themselves having to pay anything towards that. So. I think that's very important because a lot of people think that there are already cell-based therapies out there that work in Parkinson's because this clinic or that clinic is offering it to me. But there's no evidence that that clinic actually has a therapy which works in a way that they are necessarily claiming.
2: Good. Thanks for all this information and this discussion. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.